0: Disaster for you and sacrifice. Son of a bitch. I did it for
1: the Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, shorttime podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton
0: Tits and Ass Green, and his tag team partner. Making his debut in the wacky world of Fighting Fools, Zack, the Action Man, Barlow.
1: Can we just talk about the fact that they named their wrestling company TNA?
0: I, know, and I can't get over it, and it's gonna just be a touchstone of this episode, because... You know, like, last night I was messaging you, and I was like, man, this is actually pretty good, but I've always heard of TNA as just a joke. Well, you know why that is? Because they made themselves a joke when they named themselves Tits and Ass Wrestling.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I remember one time, like, telling my grandma, like, oh, yeah, I watched TNA last night, and she was like,
0: what? (laughs) (laughs) Like... We get it you're trying to be edgy, but this might have been a step too far cuz you can't walk that one back. You can't just rename your company. Well, they did. <laughs> oh shit,
1: really? Yeah, they're not TNA anymore. They're I did not know that. They're they, they they're just Impact Wrestling now.
0: Well, that was definitely for the best.
1: But they waited like
0: 10 years to do that. I bet Billy Corgan was disappointed. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, um, I think maybe Billy Corgan was behind it.
0: Oh well, uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe the Corgan can sometimes pull one out. He pulled out two great albums in the nineties, but that was about <laughs> it. Um, three three great albums. I apologize.
1: Yeah. He'll he'll come and, and put some total nonstop action on you if he, if he hears you.
0: <laughs> he'll shoot me with his fabled bullet with butterfly wings. <laughs> this
1: is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I could talk about for a little while.
0: And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out... I'm dumb as shit, and I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, as we alluded to, we're going to be taking a little
1: dive into TNA, Total Nonstop Action, the uh, really WWE's only uh, post-Attitude Era competition, although... Let's just go
0: ahead and put air quotes around the word competition.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they really never were much of a competition for the WWE, but... Uh, TNA or Impact Wrestling as they're known now um was uh started in uh, 2002 by a uh, by former WWE and WCW wrestler Jeff Jarrett um in up in Nashville, Tennessee uh wanted really? to, Yeah, he wanted to create, you know, something to uh, there was a void there cuz they started in 2002 not long after WCW folded they wanted to you know fill that void and they started out just airing weekly pay-per-views uh before they finally got a television deal with Impact Wrestling and uh you know eventually started doing their monthly pay-per-views and uh and there we go we have
0: we have TNA the fact that it was formed by a former wrestler like of course it was called tits and ass wrestling of course it was <laughs> do you think like the moment Do you, what do you think came first the concept to do this wrestling promotion or did the name just hit him, hit him and he's like now I gotta
1: I almost wonder if
0: he didn't know <laughs> I really think he might not have known wouldn't that be wild? That's like if you just accidentally named your wrestling federation BDSM—bodies like <laughs> doing slam moves. Bodies doing slam. Moves.
1: Oh, yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised no one's done that. <laughs>
0: Um, coming from three big dudes, the new wrestling promotion, (laughs) bodies doing slam moves. BDSM. (laughs) Um,
1: but yeah, the only problem with TNA, and and you mentioned, you know, you'd only really heard of TNA as the punchline to a joke, but then you watch and you were kind of impressed with the wrestling quality. Um, and yeah, that's the thing is they had really good wrestling and they always kind of touted that and were like, you're not going to see this kind of wrestling anywhere else. And they were right, except for after a while, they stopped really promoting their really good wrestlers, and then they just started finding anyone who would leave WWE. And it was like, look who we got, you know?
0: Yep, the, and that is the classic mistake. And I feel like also not spending enough time on your writing is sort of a problem. Also, I hear a very angry Chalupa.
1: That is actually not Chalupa. That's my mom's dog, Piper. So if we have dogs interrupting us... Uh, it's I, a I rowdy, rowdy, rowdy
0: Piper. Piper!
1: It's a rowdy, rowdy Piper indeed.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, man. Like, that's the thing with this is that I was extremely impressed with the quality of the wrestling. Some of the storytelling wasn't horrible, but it's hard to get invested in matches when you don't, when you don't have somebody to root for. And that's where the good writing um, or just the competent writing of the WWE really helps them out is that you – even if you're watching a show for the first time, when you're watching a match, you've picked a favorite. Well, and they even
1: eventually get – they get the former head writer of – both the WWF and WCW, who was there during the Attitude Era, Vince Russo. The problem with Vince Russo is, while he may have been the head writer for WWF during the height of the Attitude Era, he was also the head writer for WCW when David Arquette won the world title, and uh, Hulk Hogan won the world title by poking Kevin Nash...
0: Yeah, and sometimes you just get a George Lucas of a writer. You know what I mean? Like That is exactly who Vince Russo is. The attitude era it cannot be replicated like that. And to try to do so is just going to end in failure. I think we do
1: see TNA relying a little bit on old WWE and WCW stars here. Um not quite to the extent that they would later uh they would later do with you end up getting like
0: Hulk Hogan running the show, and Sting, and... I mean, at least I did not know that Hulk Hogan spent any time at TNA. See, this is kind of blowing my mind, because I also didn't realize, and I should have because it's in that classic Steiner bit that is in our intro, that Kurt Angle went to TNA. Kurt Angle actually wrestled in TNA longer than he wrestled in WWE. That is insane to me. When you are the WWE golden boy that you would go to TNA. But you know what? I guess maybe once your time in the spotlight at the WWE starts to sort of wane, um, you're looking for somebody to treat you better to make you the centerpiece. The well, here's the, here's
1: the thing. Here's why people go to TNA. TNA has one weekly show, Impact and it all it it airs in Orlando, Florida in the impact zone. So they have they have one set location for their TV shows and that's oh. it. So it's a way easier schedule. That's yeah. why people go to TNA.
0: You know? I mean, and if I were a wrestler now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah. But people get tired of it. Christian
1: went to TNA for for a while. Um, and eventually came back to WWE, and in a very interesting turn of events, WWE wanted to induct Ric Flair into the Hall of Fame as part of the Four Horsemen, but Ric Flair was with TNA at the time. So in order in order to get Ric Flair at the Hall of Fame, they had to exchange Christian. So Christian made an appearance for TNA while he was a WWE wrestler.
0: That's pretty wild. But you know what? And and something that we kind of get watching this show is that that's, like, wild when you consider the world of the WWE, but not when you consider the world of wrestling as a whole.
1: Wait, what do you mean by that?
0: Well, like, they've got a couple of guys from Ring of Honor in one of these matches. Oh, yeah. And so, we, I and you were kind of explaining to me the other day uh, when we were talking about a guy we went to high school with being a wrestler, and I was like, oh, who does he wrestle for? And you're like, well, actually, indie wrestlers don't really necessarily wrestle for anyone Um, On a permanent basis, so that was that was sort of eye opening.
1: Yeah, the world of wrestling is actually pretty big.
0: Yeah, and outside of the the juggernaut of the WWE, I guess that you know if you're a wrestler, you're really more freelance most of the time.
1: Yeah, and TNA had people. Most of their wrestlers were permanently, but they did. They had this little uh, deal with Ring of Honor where they would borrow their wrestlers, and their wrestlers and TNA wrestlers would go to Ring of Honor a lot. Um, so yeah, they kind of had that deal, um, a lot of the wrestlers, especially the, uh, younger guys like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe came from Ring of Honor, um, so really, you know, that is one thing about TNA is they don't have a whole lot of their own homegrown talent. I struggle to think of... uh, AJ Styles, although he's in Samoa Joe, although they started in TNA, they, they, or although they started in Ring of Honor, did kind of get become stars through TNA. But that's really, you know, kind of the the extent of that. Also, the other thing was T with TNA is at the beginning they didn't have their own titles, and I think you may have noticed that um, is that the the X Division is their own title, but the uh, the their world title and their tag team titles are the NWA titles.
0: Yeah, I did notice that. And so the NWA was a group, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't know my history very well on this, but that was a group that came out of WCW, right? Uh, No, other way
1: around. WCW came out of NWA. Pretty much everything came out of NWA. NWA was the National Wrestling Alliance. It was this big, like—it was less a promotion and more of like a governing body for all of wrestling throughout the country. They had, like, different territories in different parts of the country— where like each territory had its own stars, uh, but like they had like the champion who would be like the traveling champion and they would, you know, jump around to all the different territories and face that territory's top star. And, you know, they might have some kind of screwy finish where the world champion got to keep his title, but like the 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 local star still got to look really good. Um and eventually it's Vince McMahon that kind of puts an end to that by saying, You know what? this you know northeast this new england territory i'm just gonna make my own company out of that and then wcw is like okay well the southern territory well that's gonna be wcw uh so vince mcmahon really like
0: like split everything up huh?
1: yeah or vince mcmahon and his and his dad uh so that's kind of puts it into the nwa and they're still around to this day they just don't they don't really, you know, they're not what they once were, and so this was a way for TNA to kind of have a prestigious title without having to create something new. You know, eventually they do. Eventually they do split with the NWA and they end up creating their own titles. But here, it's the NWA Heavyweight Championship.
0: So, pardon the uh, the sports analogy if it is off but it's kind of like if the SEC just said to the NCAA, fuck you guys, we're doing our own thing now. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that is that is very interesting uh, history there. I had no idea that it was that, um, that complicated, I guess.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, I think it may have been a good move uh, on TNA's part to have a pretty established title but again you do eventually want
0: to get your own
1: your own bling once you get established
0: absolutely your own brand recognition so at this show we're at 2005 that's only three years into the existence of tna yeah yeah
1: and they're really only i don't think they've had the tv show that long i think impact wrestling may have started this year or the year before um, so they're starting to get into the groove of doing, you know, weekly TV and, uh, and pay-per-views. Now, eventually, I do want to mention this, eventually TNA, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to say, you know what, Impact's gonna air on Monday nights at the same time as Monday Night Raw.
0: Oh my god, no, don't... And, you know, don't TNA... challenge God and t- t- expect to not be smited it down. It was so
1: dumb because even on... Not airing on the same night, they still were getting, like, less than half of the rating that Raw was getting. Jesus. And so they no. moved, and they were getting, like,
0: .1 ratings. <laughs> that is abysmal. Did that? Please tell me they didn't stay there. It lasted, like, a few months. Yeah, no, they were not ready to do that. And they went back, and they tried to
1: pull this whole thing, it's like you know what, we're doing this for you, for the fans. We've listened, you guys want us on the original night, so we're going back to the, back to the basics from three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, like, they really tried to spin it. It was funny.
0: Um, so I guess we should talk about, like, uh, one of the biggest differences here is this hexagonal ring.
1: Yeah, uh, sometimes I feel like TNA tried to do things differently just to be different.
0: And I think you're correct about that, and I think that is exemplified perfectly in the hexagonal ring, which looks different, but functionally is the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's maybe slightly bigger? Um, I don't
0: know. Now you can Irish whip someone in three different directions, or six different directions.
1: Yeah, and they kept the six-sided ring for a long time before eventually going back to four sides, but... I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know they went
0: back. That's yeah. you know. That's kind of a shame. <laughs> I almost. know. I was a little disappointed when I heard they went back. I, I wonder it? if a six sided ring is somehow maybe more expensive to travel or duplicate or whatever. Yeah, because TNA started running out of money and like stopped
1: paying people. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: and. They, you know, they do. They really do a lot of things just to be different. Like they have, I, I think I've told you about this. They have so many match types that are just like this is this match, but the opposite. Like they have like a reverse battle royal where the goal is everyone starts outside the ring and the goal is to get in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> they have a reverse ladder match where you have to take the title and climb up a ladder and hang it up.
0: <laughs> now I really like this idea of reverse matches. Just a regular reverse wrestling match where everyone starts off laying on the floor and the first person to get up gets counted out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, they did a lot
1: of that kind of stuff that bugged me. But whenever they, they stayed true to just wrestling and not trying to get too crazy with their ideas was, was good. Um, we do start the show saying that this show is in tribute to the unbreakable American spirit uh, this actually aired on September 11th, 2005. So that's that's in a reference to it. They also throughout the show, you know,
0: mentioned uh, victims of
1: Hurricane Katrina because that had happened, you know, like a couple of weeks before.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize it actually aired on September 11th, and I was like, why are they giving so many 9/11 shoutouts like four years later? But yeah. that makes sense.
1: I, yeah, I I I just happened to notice whenever I clicked on the episode, it said September 11th, 2005. It had the date on there. Um, and they're really, uh, pimping out. They're like, we are different. Cause they said, this is TNA, the new face of professional wrestling.
0: And you know, I understand, I understand trying to vie for that top spot, but maybe don't you're, you're three years into your existence. Maybe say a a new face in professional wrestling. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a good one.
1: Um, they, uh, we st- we're we in the Impact Zone, which I thought was a little weird, because that's Orlando where they air their weekly TV show, so I guess they weren't really leaving and going out on tour too much.
0: It also At Universal Studios, yeah. which is so much fun!
1: Yeah, I kind of always wanted to go, because that's the other thing, is that, like, it's free, I mean, technically.
0: It, I mean, you have to pay to get into Universal Studios, but, like, you don't have to pay extra to go see T&A. Oh, really? So that's kind of what I was wondering. I didn't realize it's actually, like, in the park. I thought it was maybe on, like, the boardwalk or something. No, I'm pretty sure it's in the park. Dude, one day, one day, when we have, when, when we really find that audience and we really hit our stride and we're making that podcast money, we need to go, we need to do a whole day at Orlando Studios. This is what we're going to do. We're only going to ride the Jaws ride, and then we're going to go watch TNA.
1: You realize neither of those things are there anymore. They
0: are if we believe in ourselves. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> uh, but and also I thought it was weird that, like, this is a pay-per-view, but it doesn't look any different than, like, their regular set.
0: Yeah, it looks pretty rough. Um, but I guess it is hard to spring for you know, all the um, bells and whistles of a traditional pay-per-view when you have no money.
1: (laughs) Well, they do have bells. How else would they start the match?
0: You fucking... Okay. I've been owned!
1: Let's get to our first match. Uh, It's the Diamonds in the Rough of David Young, Elix Skipper, and Simon Diamond versus three live crew. Um, A couple of familiar faces here. Actually, all 3 are are a little bit familiar, but you may not remember Ron Killings. He was very briefly in uh, the 2001 Royal Rumble as K Quick. Um and then of course BG James. This is Road Dogg here. Um the artist formerly known as Road Dog. That was one thing is that WWE owned the a lot of the characters, and so whenever they would come over to TNA, they couldn't use those names. Uh, unless it was their real name. Like, Kurt Angle kept using Kurt Angle because that you can't own his legal
0: name. Okay, yeah, that's what I was about to ask, is, like, if they make your name a character, can you keep using it? And, you know, that's interesting to me that, like, The Rock, for example, he doesn't necessarily—I guess he doesn't go to a rival company, but he's out in the film industry and everything, and he's still going by The Rock.
1: Well, um— there are a few reasons for that. One because they didn't that wasn't really the practice at that point. They started doing that uh when when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall uh as Diesel and Razor Ramon left WWF for WCW and they were using their characters over in WCW and WWE sued but the in the lawsuit they were like, "Okay, well if you say you own those characters, you have to show that you had the intention to keep using those characters. So they brought two random guys on and called them Diesel and Razor Ramon to prove it. Um, oh my god. Is how petty they were. Um, so they had to go by their real names. So eventually they started doing that, but yeah, no, that's why it doesn't happen with The Rock, and also The Rock left on good terms.
0: Yeah, and I guess he is sort of still out there like, even though he's not wrestling in some ways, he's still promoting the company. Yeah.
1: And he never really, like, left, left. Like, he kind of, like, just slowly stopped appearing and eventually was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be on my WWE contract anymore.
0: That is one thing that's so interesting to me, though, is that when a wrestler jumps ship to another promotion, um, it's almost this idea in wrestling of, like, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies.
1: Yeah. Well, because they'll go over to the other company and, and talk shit about WWF, and then they always, always end up coming back. Always it's end up It's almost back. like
0: they just go there to angle for, like, like it's it's a strategic move for negotiating your contract.
1: 100%. Anyone that would ever leave WWE, they come over to TNA, and TNA would act like they were some sort of, like, legend.
0: Uh, that's the thing, too, is that, like... TNA, really, stop getting played here, because you're just looking like a damn fool. Yeah. Because what wrestler is not going to go back to the WWE? Mm -hmm. Who is going to stay with you? No one is loyal in this business. You should know that.
1: Yeah. And pretty much everyone who was anybody in TNA ended up going to WWE, even the ones they built up themselves.
0: Yeah, and that's got a that's got a sting because how do you stop that from happening? You really can't. So we got the three live crew. It's Ron Killings, B.G.
1: James, uh, formerly known as the Road Dog in WWF, and Conan, who we we saw a little bit in our WCW episode. Um, and they're kind of talking about how Kip James, who is. Billy Gunn, has been interfering in BG's matches. Now, I don't know why they decided to make them brothers, despite the fact that in WWE continuity, they're not brothers, but they're still going to say that they're tag team partners, but they're going to (laughs) make them brothers, even though they look nothing alike, even though both of them have
0: actual relatives in the wrestling business. Yeah, I was going to say, why must you be brothers if you're tag team partners? Like, why is that such a big lie? I don't understand. They don't have to be brothers. They just don't. And they're so often not. I
1: honestly, I think the Hardys are like the only example I can think of actual wrestling brothers.
0: I wonder if there have ever been actual brothers and they're like in, in the story not brothers. That would be interesting. Yeah, I guess it would be.
1: I know there have been like some like cousins that they don't really talk about are related,
0: <laughs> but
1: that's because it's like Hulk Hogan and Horace Hogan.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm but I bet you that Horace is out there like, why don't we do a storyline about me and Hulk being cousins? <laughs> and Hulk Hogan's just well, like, don't worry, uh, they did. Oh, literally goodness. everything you can think of, they've already done uh but i just like the idea of like hulk hogan trying to distance himself from horace
1: there are no new wrestling storylines um so conan gets on the mic gets everyone pumped up bg james this is old dx mic work of you know like ladies and gentlemen blah blah, blah blah like he used to do in dx in the wwf so really they're just like getting them over based on like hey remember these guys And, like, that shows, like, that's a bad business move if you're going to be, like, if you're going to rely on people who are already established. Like, you're relying on people liking these people because of what they've seen in your, like,
0: competition. Right, right. It's, It's like putting your competitor almost on a pedestal and being like, you guys loved this thing that they did. Watch us try it.
1: That would be like if Coke came out with a new drink called Beepus for Pepsi.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, this one tastes just like Pepsi, guys. We promise. It's Pepsi, but don't worry. We're the ones doing it this time. This go-around, it's Coke's turn. (laughs) Coke
1: Pepsi. Um, So... Uh, And I I think it's funny that BG says that they're going to be the next tag team champions, which doesn't make any sense because there's three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, they're really showing off BG James. um, Ron Killings comes in. They get a double team hip toss, and they start dancing. Um, Conan finally uh, gets tagged in, starts cleaning house, and uh, for some reason takes his shoe off and throws it at David Young. Um, I don't know. And he gives him a face buster and pins him to win it. Uh, Don't know why he wasn't disqualified for using his shoe, and uh, it was a very short, kind of quick-paced match. A decent opener. Um, Not really bad, not really good, just there. It's kind of how I felt about this match.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was entertaining enough, and I, I do feel like it sets the pace kind of well, because, especially for me, having never seen a TNA match before, I didn't expect the wrestling to be quite as fast as it was. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're going to get into some much better examples of that as we go, but this match kind of, in my opinion, informs, you know, this is what the show's going to be like going forward. That's
1: good. I didn't really think about that coming as, you know, someone who's never seen TNA to seeing it now. That's that's a good point. And, um, it, and that is where TNA succeeds, is the style of wrestling, and... They used to be like, "Hey, this is what we are," and that's what they should have been. They should have never tried to be WWE. It's kind of like in the movie "Fighting with My Family" about the wrestler Paige. Uh, there's a scene with The Rock in it playing himself, and Paige asks him, "She's like, what do I got to do to be the next you?" And he says, well, "Don't go out there and be the next me. Be the first you." And that's what TNA should have done. But they were trying to be the next WWE, right? And they were right. not trying to be the first. Tits and ass.
0: (laughs) They were not trying to be the first Eve.
1: Uh, So we go to ringside uh, and see the announce team for the first time. Don West and Mike Tanay, who Mike Tanay we saw in WCW. Uh, Really, it was probably the best announcer in WCW because he's the only one ever calling the damn matches.
0: Yeah, Um, no, and this is competent mic work by our announce table.
1: Yeah, they're okay. Um, I like I like uh, Mike today. Don
0: West does kind of get on my nerves a little bit because he's a
1: little bit too excited.
0: Uh, well, notice I didn't say it was great, Mike Hork. <laughs> I said competent for a reason. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, it's 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 workable. Nothing about it pisses me off um, repeatedly. The only thing that the, a little bit did
1: piss me off, and this is not about the announce team. It seemed like. The production quality and audio mixing, either in this pay-per-view or how I saw it on the app, was a little bit bad, and I couldn't hardly hear the announce team a lot of times. I felt like I could hear the crowd too much.
0: That is absolutely true, and for being filmed in 2005, this thing looks like it was filmed in 98.
1: Yeah, and so that was that was my gripe about it. I mean, it's not enough to ruin the show for me, but I mean it, it did I, I did have trouble hearing the commentary team most of the time. I like hearing the crowd because they were a very vocal crowd. Maybe that was what it was. Maybe this crowd was just way too vocal, but uh I did have trouble hearing them.
0: The hexagonal ring bounces the sound waves of the crowd yeah, back into the microphone. Song. So we
1: they show us a little bit of the
0: pre-show where
1: Monty Brown comes out, uh, beats up some random jobbers, and challenges the winner of tonight's uh, NWA world title match between Raven and Rhino uh, to a match at Bound for Glory. And, and uh, Bound for Glory is basically, like, if you couldn't tell the way they were talking about it, is their version of WrestleMania.
0: Yeah, yeah, I had a feeling it was. Um
1: uh, Jeff Jarrett, who is the owner of or the creator of and founder of TNA, uh, and also like one of their main event stars, so uh. <clears throat> <laughs> uh
0: yeah, that is um that's a little bit interesting. It's like when the owner of your restaurant's also a cook.
1: Yeah, but like also like when the owner of your restaurant is like, I'm the
0: best cook. I'm the best cook. And the best waiter. Um, and yeah, no. You know
1: what's funny? It, you know how I said everyone leaves WWE or leaves TNA and goes to WWE? Even Jeff Jarrett went back to WWE to be inducted into the Hall of Fame.
0: Jesus. While Christ. TNA is still around. <laughs> now that is um that's a slap in the face if there ever was one. So, yeah. the thing with Jeff Jarrett, his character here, I don't remember him from WWE. I don't know if we've watched anything with him in it.
1: Well, uh, we did. It was mostly like tag team matches. And uh, we also watched him. Remember the good housekeeping match with China? Okay. Yep. That's Jarrett. Basically, his original gimmick in WWE was country singer. And then he just slowly became like regular guy who has a guitar.
0: Yeah, here he's striking me as, like, Steve Austin, if Steve Austin had a guitar. Mm.
1: And interesting that you say that, because apparently there was a lot of tension between Austin and Jarrett. Didn't like each other. Huh. Um, and, and there was a lot of tension with Jarrett and the WWE, because when WWF bought WCW, one of the first things they did on that first episode of Raw, the same night Vince appeared on Nitro, he was backstage, and remember, they were simulcast at the same time, so there was a Jeff Jarrett match happening on Nitro, and Vince McMahon was, like, watching the TV, and he's like, oh, look. Uh, he's he's like, I can do anything I want with the WCW talent. Oh, look, there's Jeff Jarrett. You right, remember, he used to wrestle for WWF, but not anymore, because I'm firing him. Oh, good God. Uh, so Jeff Jarrett, uh, maybe the only wwe wrestler who's ever been actually fired on tv
0: (laughs) jesus christ vince is a a real motherfucker huh
1: yeah so i you know and if after that you can still come back to the wwe
0: no permanent friends no permanent enemies
1: Ultimate Warrior after all the stuff that he did, and they made a whole DVD called "The Self Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior." Came back to WWE. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if like Chris Benoit came back, honestly. <laughs> For um, a
0: real, real new, fresh take on the Undertaker style character. Oh my god!
1: Okay, we can't get into this, or we're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> um, Jeff Jarrett comes out and says Brown stole his. F- thunder then kip james aka billy gunn comes out uh you happy to see mr ass familiar of course i am um kip james comes out uh he's monty brown's tag team partner and uh but then they kind of get into a little a little hissy fit uh because kip james is like hey we have an actual match tonight focus on that and then jeff hardy comes out another familiar face and uh starts brawling with jeff jarrett and uh man uh,
0: jeff jeff hardy looks so much fucking cooler in tna oh well, he's also on so many more drugs yeah but at least he lost the purple in those sideburns
1: well see tna tna they don't like they will take Anything they can get, because Jeff Hardy left the WWF because he had a drug problem. They were like, hey, you can't—like, he kept having drug problems. They kept trying to make him get clean, and he kept not doing it. So WWF was like, if you don't go into rehab, you can't work here anymore. And he was like, well, I guess I'm not working here anymore. Well, and <laughs> TNA you know was what? like,
0: we're fine with that.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> and- know
0: what, though? I think that he— uh even if he is a little bit coked up, maybe it's helping him out some because he gives a well, pretty good match this show.
1: You should see his later TNA match when he, 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 he leaves TNA eventually, goes back to WWE, leaves again for another drug problem, and goes back to TNA and has one of the worst matches of all time where uh, for some reason TNA thought, well, we said we're going to have a match with Jeff Hardy versus Sting, and despite the fact that Jeff Hardy is so drugged up, he should not compete. They made him go out and wrestle anyway and made Sting pin him immediately. And in, oh in my the pay-per-view God. like 15 minutes early. Yeah, it's probably one of the worst decisions TNA's ever made.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Jesus Christ. So, where is uh where's Matt Hardy in all of this? Uh, Matt Hardy is still wrestling with the
1: WWE at this point. Uh uh, he's he's still in version 1 he's either in version 1 or this may be at the time where he came this actually i think is right around the time he came back and started his very real feud with edge
0: over really over lita
1: yeah that was 2005 when that was happening
0: i didn't know they had a a real feud
1: oh no i have told you about this so many times cuz remember edge oh edge and oh, matt hardy i
0: didn't realize so edge edge like cheats on, or gets Lita to cheat on Matt.
1: Yeah, so Matt Hardy was with Lita, and then in real life, she had an affair with Edge. Um, I
0: didn't realize, and you've told me about that so many times, I knew Edge was a son of a bitch, and he was a perpetrator in that scenario, but I never knew that Matt Hardy was the victim. That didn't really stick until this moment. Man, poor Matt Hardy!
1: And, well, to be fair, Matt Hardy did not handle it very well, and just started, like, talking shit on the online which okay to be fair if i mean it's hard to say i mean edge and leader are 100% in the wrong uh but he started doing that and ended up getting fired but fans wanted him back so bad that they brought him back and they had an a very legitimate feud where they were like breaking the fourth wall calling each other by or matt hardy would call them by their real names uh, oh,
0: damn.
1: He would interrupt, like, matches, and the announcers would, like, just stop talking. They'd go quiet because to sell that it was, like, not supposed to happen.
0: That, that is difficult. insane. The, the thing is, though, like, if you actually get pissed off with someone at the WWE, then that only guarantees that you're going to have to keep working with that person forever. No.
1: Um,. Uh, we're talking about TNA, but we're still going back to talk about the WWE. Let's, uh, and that is
0: TNA's greatest flaw. I know.
1: Let's try to course correct. So Jeff Hardy gets involved. They kind of just get into a whole brawl with all these guys. So we go back to the announcers, and they're basically talking about, you know, we got a lot of people gunning for the NWA heavyweight title. You know, somebody is going to want to face the winner of tonight's Raven and Rhino match. Which even even there, in their world title picture, they've got two guys who made their name in ECW and then also both wrestled in, in WWF, so um Yeah, not a great look. That's what they do a lot. Although I will say those those guys are awesome. And plus Raven never really wrestled much in in the WWE anyway. Um so uh, they then say they got a very special showcase match for us. It's going to be Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong, um, two guys wrestling in Ring of Honor. Who they just kind of going to just hey do your thing here uh, here at TNA, and I I think they they impressed me. What about you?
0: Yeah, man, they take advantage of this spotlight for sure, and that's one thing that I think WWE is missing that TNA definitely has here. Is that you get guys that are hungry enough for it, they're gonna put on a great match because think they're, they're trying to prove they've themselves. They've
1: started to learn that a little bit, which is kind of where NXT came came around, and they start signing guys from Ring of Honor because you know a lot of the guys who've come up through WWE in recent years, like Daniel Bryan and uh, Kevin Owens. Uh, those guys came from Ring of Honor, so um, they they say that Austin Aries had made his debut last month. Uh, apparently, TNA made a poll for the indie wrestler they most wanted to see. It was ended up being Austin Aries, and Mike Taney says he's like, "We're giving the fans what they want," um, which I mean, hey, sell that. And there's even a guy in the crowd that says, "Dixie, please sign this guy." Dixie Carter being. Uh, kind of the person running things over at TNA at this point. Jeff Jarrett's not really running things day-to-day like that.
0: Yeah, it's not great to... Okay, you can have a businessman that becomes a wrestler, but you can't really have a wrestler that becomes a businessman. But you can't have a wrestler that becomes mayor of Knox County, Tennessee.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is why they get Dixie Carter, I guess, who, interesting fact, Dixie Carter uh, is... Went to our alma mater.
0: Really? He's a
1: graduate from uh University of Mississippi.
0: What a name.
1: Dixie Carter. I know. It sounds like a like a like a like a wrestling ring name actually.
0: It absolutely does. It's, it's her
1: real name. Um, Don West also mentions that, uh, that Austin Aries and Roderick Strong are both, uh, they were both stablemates in Ring of Honor. Uh, I kind of remember that. I've watched a little Ring of Honor myself. Uh, they were part of Generation Next, who I always really was a big fan of. Um, uh, these guys are really showing off that indie wrestling style, which I don't think you've really seen much of, have you?
0: No, but it's fucking cool. Talk to me
1: a little bit about what you noticed about the style of this type of
0: wrestling. Okay, I'm gonna make a and d analogy, and I'm sorry. But, regular, like, professional wrestling is usually just, like, maxed out strength stat, right? It's just, like, pick up big thing, throw dude. These guys, these guys have their decks maxed. So they're doing, like, Almost cruiserweight style stuff. Like, the fucking... Where he keeps somersaulting out of the way of moves and shit. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, I love it. I, I Because it's... It's much more fast-paced. And it's much more, like... Vis- visually appealing and, like... Sometimes in WWE, someone does something and it's like... Oh, uh, that's cool, I guess. I Like, if I, as a layperson, don't really realize why it's cool... But when I watch these guys wrestle, I'm like, that's fucking awesome because it looks and is fucking awesome. And it's it's like uh it's like Daredevil.
1: It's not only is it high flying, fast paced, it's also really stiff. I don't know if you noticed that. They were they were being pretty stiff with each other as far as like punches and chops and kicks. I didn't
0: notice that actually.
1: Uh yeah, I mean they start trading some pretty strong chops and brutal drop kicks it just it i mean you know that they're you know pulling their punches and pulling their kicks but it just the way they're able to do it feels a little bit stronger like they're hitting each other a little harder uh i i happen to notice that
0: yeah um but that's i mean i think that just goes back to like how much do they want it you know Um, and these guys are really trying to make a name for themselves, and that means giving us a fucking great show.
1: And the crowd's really into it, uh, at one point they just give them a round of applause just after they're just, like, kind of trading back and forth some moves, going for quick pinfalls. Um, they start chaining ROH at one point, I don't know if you heard that. (laughs) Uh, I didn't, but that is really
0: cool. Um,
1: let's, let's see... Um, uh, Roderick Strong is, uh, pretty much his whole gimmick is he's, like, the backbreaker king, he, like, does all these cool backbreaker moves, uh, like, he does one out of a full Nelson, he does, like, a -a tilt-a-whirl one, um, at one point he puts him up on his shoulders and slams him onto his knees, uh, gut first. Uh, Falls up with a big leg lariat and covers, and Austin Aries barely kicks out. And we're getting the crowd is going nuts, and they're chanting TNA at this point too, which like, listen. Here's one thing I will give companies like this: I've heard TNA chants, I've heard ROH chants, I've heard ECW chants. I have never in my
0: life heard somebody chant WWE. You know what? That is an excellent point, and I think that that does sort of come from the cult following you get from being an underdog. Yeah. And there was a point in time where people, like, if a WWE match was really boring, you'd hear the crowd start chanting TNA. <laughs> now, and I do have to say, this match shows exactly why Vince McMahon's big dude fetish hurts the WWE. For because sure. Roderick Strong, when he came out, I was like, this guy does not look like a wrestler. This guy just looks like a dude. And, and then he, like, sn- Mega impressed me. You don't gotta be a big dude to be good. Strong
1: uh slingshots Ares into the corner and then tries for that half Nelson backbreaker, but Ares drops behind, hits a brain buster, which is like a suplex, but he just drops you on your head instead. Um he goes to the top that, rope that and, cool. and nails a four fifty splash, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a he flips four hundred and fifty degrees and then lands on top of a guy pins him for the 3 count.
0: Yeah, man. I I loved this match. Yeah. I I do
1: I did too. I said it was a crazy match. It's exactly what TNA was all about back in the day. Uh and I, I gave it a 4 out of 5 stars.
0: I don't understand, and I guess maybe it's the idea. Maybe it's like we want to be big fast, you know. We want to really come strong and challenging for that top slot that makes TNA do all these missteps. Um, but I don't understand, you know, y- y- when you see a match like that and you have that audience response, how you, as the person running the company, doesn't say, you know what, this is where our strengths are. Play to our strengths. Well, they
1: basically make all the same mistakes WCW did, and they think that, like, well, we can get Hulk Hogan, and they think that Hulk Hogan is just this magic sauce you can just throw in anything and make anything perfect. And I also think that they weren't content – I think at some point you have to be content with just being second place. Yeah. you're never going to beat WWE, and maybe that's okay. Maybe just be okay with that and try to succeed in your own right and don't try to – they they were always trying – they were out to beat WWE. And that was a crazy pipe dream that was never going to happen. And not something anyone would want. Nobody wanted that.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, sometimes being second place is what is good about you.
1: Yeah, be the well. alternative. Come on on a different day. That's the thing. People want to watch – They. that's the reason why people watch you because you come on a different day. It's like, hey, I don't have wrestling to watch on this day. Now there's wrestling this day, and I'm going to watch it, you know? Right.
0: Because at a certain point, what you're doing is you're catering to the more hardcore wrestling fans. The exactly. folks that can't get enough. And, you know, maybe in that way you win some of them over. Because you try new things, and you, you do good stories, and you have good wrestling. And then maybe more people start watching you than, than the other. But that has to happen organically. You can't just gimmick your way to the top.
1: Exactly. And they hired the same people who worked at WCW. I think now they're actually learning. They're learning and they're not doing that anymore,
0: thankfully. Good, good. It just Billy got, Corgan has them on the right track. huh?
1: It just got to a point where they, you know, they they thought that they could one beat WWE and they thought that having old WWE talent and promoting them was good. And it's like people like seeing those guys, you know, as like nostalgia. But we did not need to see Mick Foley, as much as I love Mick Foley, we did not need to see Mick Foley win the TNA World Heavyweight title in 2008. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, so we go backstage to Shane Douglas, who's like their ring announcer, which is weird seeing him in that position. Uh, Shane Douglas, you may remember from the ECW show. Uh Shane Douglas was one of the biggest names in ECW. He was the guy who uh dropped the NWA title on the ground and said we're we're gonna be extreme championship wrestling now. Um Oh, okay. But he's their backstage interviewer interviewing Monty Brown, um, their TNA's resident big dude. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you can't have any, you know, just they can't
0: all be big.
1: And he's talking to Monty about uh, wanting to be the NWA world champion, and that's when the artist formerly known as Billy Gunn comes in and uh, is kind of getting on to Brown and saying, hey, stop worrying about the world title, worry about our match tonight. Um, Brown says he's going to do things his own way, um, and that his opponents are going to feel the pounds. <laughs> I'm glad that you knew what he was saying there, because I sure as hell didn't. The pounce, it's his finishing move, which is a dumb finishing move. It's just he runs and tackles you. Which, I mean, okay, having like a 300-pound guy just run into you is probably painful, but it doesn't look
0: impressive. That's the thing, is a move has to look impressive. Now I will say you know it also depends on how much you can sell it, like the people 's elbow as we've talked about previously it, exactly, but you know
1: when whenever guys go for basic things that i mean tech like it's like when big Show started using a punch for his finishing move, it was like, yeah, having a five hundred pound dude punch you in the face is horrible, but it's pretty like, standard when you have people you know choke slamming people off of ladders through tables a punch is just not just it doesn't do it for me yeah no not gonna cut it uh they're promoting bound for glory now and they call it the grandest event in tna history which sounds
0: a lot like wrestlemania doesn't it it does sound a lot like wrestlemania uh
1: our next match is kip james and monty brown versus apollo and lance hoyt with Sonny siaki uh, Sonny has a neck brace because apparently uh, Monty Brown dropped him throat first on a steel chair. Uh, but Hoyt and Apollo send him to the back because he's not medically com- cleared to compete. Uh, the announcer's been the first part of the match just talking about Bound for Glory, so it's like, oh man, I've seen this pattern before.
0: Yeah, um, though I will say one thing that is different here in, uh, in TNA that I do think I like less is that WWE – will show the, like, hype stuff, the backstage stuff, the the guys talking shit out of sequence of the matches that, they, that come after them. Yeah. Um, so you'll get some shit talking about a match that comes way later in the show, and I like that because it helps build the story throughout and build some tension. Yeah, it's, it's, get, like
1: a, it's like a little, like, deep tease is what we call it in news, where you,
0: you tease something that's coming much later in, in the right. show. Right. And I, I really like that, but TNA does not have that grasp of that because they do their spots right before the matches.
1: Yeah, interesting. I didn't quite catch that, but yeah, that's a good point. Um, I do like the announcers kind of talk about Kip James. They talk about him. They're like, oh, yeah, he's this you know legendary tag team wrestler who's held very, a lot of different titles. So basically talking about him in WWE without saying it, <laughs> Right, right. That was another thing TNA did a lot that I kind of didn't like, where they would talk about the WWE all the time and like try to like throw shots at them, whereas WWE would never mention TNA. Exactly.
0: Um, and you should just ignore them, because if you keep doing that, then you're just drawing more attention to your competition.
1: Yeah. You know, you don't want people to compare you to your competition, but you're forcing them to. That's why we never mention other podcasts on our podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Except for our own. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, the story here is that they're, that Kip, James, and Monty Brown aren't quite on the same page. Brown comes in and gets some pretty decent offense in, and then he asks the crowd, Are you not entertained? He takes a weird pause before he says entertained.
0: Yeah. So they they say, did, did Monty Brown actually used to be a linebacker?
1: Uh maybe probably.
0: Um because I know I know that does happen with a decent amount of football players um that that can't make it professionally so they go over to uh professional wrestling. Yeah,
1: that, uh, The Rock was uh you know, a Miami Dolphin. Oh, I wow, I somehow missed that. Really? You didn't I that? did not know that. Yeah, The Rock was Miami Dolphin. Goldberg played for the Falcons. Um Yeah, he was but... a, he was a linebacker.
0: I wonder if it is actually safer to do professional wrestling than to play football.
1: <sighs> maybe now, when yeah when they've kind of yeah, toned down the true. rules. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's probably s- still safer to play football. Barely, um, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a tough call, huh?
1: Yeah, because like there are some injuries wrestlers have gotten that are just. Whew,
0: but yeah I think that Monty Brown here is trying to like capture that charisma but it just doesn't he doesn't know how to land it. It doesn't come as naturally to him as it does to some other guys i don't think
1: yeah uh, Monty Brown actually did go wrestle for the w w e for a while um uh, you know i just he wasn't a i was never a huge fan of him he's he's like kind of generic big dude to me,
0: yeah I agree
1: um. This is a pretty standard match, not really much of note here um eventually uh Kip accidentally knocks Monty Brown to the floor, and that's when he he walks right into a super kick. Brown comes in and hits the pounce on Apollo and pins him for the win, which I don't think Monty Brown was the legal man um uh, here's what I wrote. I wrote, these are my problems with it. Brown One, Brown wasn't the legal man. Two, the pounce is a stupid move. And three, TNA doing their whole old guys winning. Which, to be fair, Monty Brown at least got the win here, but, you know... Kip James yeah. should be putting people over, not winning matches. No,
0: and it was dumb for them to win from a story perspective, too, because the whole story is like, oh, these guys aren't communicating well, and there's like a series of gaffes that come out of that. Yeah. That needs to ultimately result in them losing the match. Yeah, that, that, that was odd. Um, yeah, no, because I fully expected them to lose that, and that was... Uh, and maybe you could say, like, well, they're playing with your expectations, but not in a good way.
1: Yeah. I gave I gave the match a a star a a star and three quarters.
0: Yeah, I mean it was it was a match. It was fine. It was the wrestling was okay, but it just story wise didn't make any sense. And yeah, no, I agree. Um, I will say something that I noticed at this point in the show though, and now that you mentioned what's going on here, it makes sense. But there are way more women in the crowd at TNA. And I was like, "That's sort of weird. I wonder why that is." But I think it's because it's at Universal Studios. Yeah, and so you get them there, like having fun for the day, and then then like their their significant other is like, "Babe, babe, we gotta go see TNA, babe," and just sort of drags them there.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't notice that one either.
0: Which is not to say, uh, that is that is not a statement like, women can't like wrestling. It's just like, you're much less likely to enjoy something that's constantly objectifying you. Well, and I will say this, there were like no women on this show. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I'm sure that TNA did some egregious shit, but luckily we're not able to see it in this, L- there this is, there showing.
1: There is one woman in the entire show at this point, it's Tracy, and she's just interviewing Team Canada. Um, yeah, all four members of Team Canada are wrestling tonight. Um, so we got Bobby Roode, Eric Young, A1, and Petey Williams. Uh, Eric Young is worried about the odds in the match because he's got a. They've got a four way
0: tag team match, and he's also worried because the ref is American too. How many times, Peyton? How many times? How many times will we see this dumbass wrestling trope? A we lot. can't escape it. I thought we're not in the WWE. Surely there won't be anything involving a Canada-America feud. Evil but Canadians. here it is.
1: Yeah, there's one thing I've learned about Canadians from watching wrestling. It's that Canadians are evil.
0: Yes, Canadians are, are constantly plotting against us, apparently.
1: Uh, Bobby Roode calls out Jeff Hardy, he calls him half-baked, and I think he's probably right about that. <laughs> <laughs> he says Hardy's going to be Canadianized. I don't know what that means.
0: I was wondering the same thing.
1: Um and then PD Williams is talking about his match against Chris Sabin. He says they have a lot of history. They've gone to the same wrestling school, same coach, even worked their way up the ranks of TNA together. He says what sets him apart is his amazing finisher, the Canadian Destroyer. And I hate that we never get to see him, we see him try twice, we never actually get to see him hit the Canadian Destroyer. It's a really cool move, it's a front flip
0: pile driver. Huh. What is specifically Canadian about that? I don't know, he just calls it that. Yeah, I'd hope if you're, if you have the name of your country in your move that you like, I don't know, throw out some maple leaves or something.
1: It's a a cool move, but it's also very impractical because it, uh, the person receiving the move does all the work. But because they have uh, to do a backflip onto their own head. Yeah, that's hard. And uh P. D. Williams says Chris Aben is like every other American. Inferior. Uh and you're right, we go right into this this match.
0: Um yeah. Yeah, man. I don't understand why we gotta I don't understand why we come keep coming back to this Canada. Well, is that something to your knowledge that still is a like a plot line in WWE or in any other wrestling? I don't know
1: about Canadian, but like, it, I mean, foreigners are like just a wealth of gimmicks for them.
0: Yeah, no, it's just like. It's always weird when it's Canada because that is by far, you know, any really like if you pick a NATO ally, it's like we don't really have beef with them. I guess it's because
1: it's like a rivalry you can do without really offending anyone.
0: Yeah, that is not to
1: say that they haven't tried their hardest to offend people, especially with foreigner gimmicks, but. Um. Mike today mentions that Chris Abram was supposed to wrestle Shocker from AAA, but that AAA changed Shocker's booking and he couldn't get a flight to Orlando. And it sounds like is pretty annoyed about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And he's like, TNA management steps up again to give the fans what they
0: want. All right. That's another sort of weird thing to me is like, why would you even mention it? Why would you?
1: I guess probably because they promoted that match. Oh, and
0: who's they have on the to card, explain yeah.
1: why that they're not having that match anymore. That makes sense. Um, uh, uh we got some more uh, pretty, uh, pretty good wrestling here. Some high flyers, X division style wrestling. Um, uh, pretty cool move where Chris Saban slides through the ropes and uh, gets a gets a head scissors takeover on Petey Williams on the outside. Um. And then at one point, uh, Chris Sabin charges off the apron, but Pete Williams gets out of the way, and Sabin goes face first into the guardrail. Our announcers are saying that both guys are trying to avoid the other's finisher. Um, a pretty cool reversal here, where S- Chris Sabin tries to hit a power bomb, but Williams reverses it into a DDT. I've never seen a power bomb into a DDT reversal. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, a lot of the reversals in these matches are where a, a big portion of the wrestling comes from, and it's awesome. I, I really enjoy watching people reverse moves. In fact, um, I, I'm not sure quite where it is. It might be in this match that we see, like, a double reversal. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. Th- those are always really cool. Uh, we get a dueling chant from for both men. Um Uh, but uh, that's the thing I notice a lot is the crowd is really hot for both wrestlers, even when one of them's a heel.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: that is one thing. It, it's it's hard to make a high flying guy a heel because you wanna like him Like when you do, you do cool moves like front flip pile
0: drivers, it's hard to boo that person. Yeah, yeah, no. It, it, there's something innately just cool about high flyers.
1: Uh, it, I, I think we're getting some stiff shots, or some stiff working here again with some brutal forearm shots. They they trade some chops here. Um, but Pete Williams puts Chris Saban in the sharpshooter because, you know, every Canadian does the sharpshooter.
0: Yeah, good lord.
1: Um, but Chris Saban gets to the ropes. Um, That's the
0: thing they teach you the first day at the Heart Dungeon.
1: <laughs> Williams eventually does try for that Canadian destroyer, but Chris Sabin reverses it. He goes for a springboard, but Petey Williams slaps him – or swats him right out of the way. Um, He gets Saban back in a sharpshooter again, uh, but Chris Saban counters it. A pretty cool move where Chris Saban tosses Petey Williams really hard right in
0: the corner with a crucifix powerbomb. Could you – could you – just for, for you know, not my benefit, because I certainly know what a crucifix powerbomb is. But could you uh, explain that one a little bit?
1: So it's basically like a guy lifts up the other guy in, like, a literally a crucifixion pose where he's, like, holding onto the guy's arms and just tosses him over his head. So he tosses him over his head into the corner. Uh, okay. Chris Saban picks P. Williams up, but P. Williams fights back, Uh he rakes him in the eyes, and Chris Saban is blinded, and so he picks up the ref instead. Uh, once <laughs> once he realizes he's got the ref up, he drops him, and that's when P.D. Williams goes for another Canadian Destroyer. But Chris Saban reverses that and hits a cradle shot and pins P.D. Williams for the three count. Um, I thought this was a really fun match. Wish we could have seen a little bit more high-flying from these guys, though. Um, Yeah, that's fair. So I gave it a three out of five. What What'd you think?
0: Yeah, no, I, I really liked this one. I thought it was uh, a good match. Again, that fast-paced wrestling that I'm I'm coming to expect from the show as we go forward, and yeah, no, just, just really well executed, I thought. After the match,
1: Matt Bentley shows up, super kicks Chris Saban, the crowd's going nuts, chanting, welcome back. Matt Bentley gets on the mic and says, a lot of people thought he was bound to head up north, which that's code for WWE. I don't think he was. Um, so
0: oh. I was kind of I didn't really know what he meant by that, but now I understand. Uh he said TNA is his home and the only place he was bound for is bound for glory
1: and he says you can't have bound for glory without the match he made famous, Ultimate X. Uh hopefully we get to watch an Ultimate X match at some point. It's really What cool. is
0: the What is the gimmick there?
1: So they set up these like towers on the ring posts and they come together in a point and make like an X over the ring and there's literally like a X hanging above the ring or a title belt. So it's kind of like a ladder match but without a ladder and they have to climb up the scaffolding thing to Okay, get, that
0: sounds awesome.
1: to get the thing. It's it's a match that TNA created that's pretty that's pretty cool. Um but before uh, Matt Bentley uh, leaves he uh, he superkicks PD Williams as well. Um so we go to another pre-match promo with uh James Mitchell and Abyss saying Abyss deserves a world title shot. Now, here's the thing about Abyss and James Mitchell.
0: If you tell me that this is like Kane, I'm not going to believe you. This
1: is Kane and Paul Bearer. This is a 100% no, it's not. the this same is, thing. This
0: is a completely different thing based
1: they even had like another guy come and be
0: like, Oh, this is his brother. <laughs> they just tried to they tried to introduce them in the reverse order.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, no, I saw Abyss and I was like, Huh, that's a cane. <laughs> that there's a cane. <laughs> uh no, and like and I I also yeah, I noticed that um that is Paul Bearer as well. Yeah. Even though I actually kinda like their version of Paul Bearer more.
1: Yeah, and, and James Mitchell was—he was actually originally in ECW as the Sinister Minister. So that's not a completely unoriginal gimmick. I—I um,
0: uh, I will say though, with Abyss, um, not to spoil anything, but there's a point that he brings out tax, and I just dubbed him a man Kane in that moment.
1: Man Kane, yeah, that's pretty good. He is kind of mankind-like as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So we see, like, kind of a a montage of Abyss going on his rampage through the TNA roster until Sabu shows up, who you may recall from our ECW episode, the crazy, homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, chair-swinging crazy man. Uh,
0: Yeah, good old Terry
1: Bunk. How did you know
0: his real name? Because I thought, is this racist? So I Googled (laughs) him, and I found out that Sabu is Terry Michael Bunk from Staten Island.
1: Yeah, I feel like we've had this conversation before about whether Sabu is actually, you know, from India. He always used to be billed from Bombay, Michigan. <laughs> um, so we got Abyss with James Mitchell versus Sabu. James Mitchell gets on the mic and says that Sabu is on the fast track to extinction, and they're going to do this match Sabu's way and make it no disqualifications. Uh, the lights come go out, and when they come back on, Sabu is in the ring. Um, and
0: uh, wow, it's almost like somebody else to know. Yeah,
1: like the Undertaker. <laughs> I will say, uh, uh, Sabu did do that in ECW as well.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um. So, Abyss kind of starts dominating pretty early on. Um, we get some weapons in the mix because Sabu really can't wrestle a match that doesn't have weapons in it. Um, yeah. Sabu does use the chair in a pretty cool way. He, I like how he uses it as, like, a launching pad. He'll he'll set it up, seated in the middle of the ring, and use it to jump up to, like, to the middle rope and do, like, a moonsault or something. Or, like, I like how he does how he'll, like... Leg drop the chair onto people's faces.
0: Yeah, man, the way he uses that chair, where he like like jumps in the air, sits on the chair, and then runs into you, is a really cool move. Yeah, and very innovative use of the chair.
1: Yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty dope.
0: Uh, we get so some... I I noticed something here about the tables though, if you don't mind me me saying, go for it. Um, so I think that WWE might have their tables like specialty made. Um, yeah. This is I'm going to get a little bit into some table construction. I apologize. But the the similarity is that neither of them have like the bar that runs across the bottom middle of the table that connects the two ends because that you, then you can't go through it, right? Yeah. But I do think that TNA just buys their tables like from a table person because they still have the metal ring around the bottom of the table. So, like, when you see someone break a table in this, there's this, this, like, bent-ass metal ring there, and that has to hurt more than, like, going clean through.
1: I didn't notice that. Good good eye there. Um, Yeah, we, we do eventually go through a table uh, when Sabu launches himself off the chair, springs off the top rope, and then takes Abyss down with a DDT. Actually, that was a move that happened, but not the move I was talking about. <laughs> when he goes through the, the the table is actually when Sabu charges at Abyss, but Abyss just grabs him and tosses him over his head, over the ropes and through the table on the outside. Crowd's chanting ECW. Uh, and then they start chanting, we want thumbtacks.
0: And boy, do they get them.
1: Yeah. Uh, first, Sabu uh, does a... He leg drops the chair onto the back of Abyss's head and drives him through the table. Um, Sabu pins Abyss and gets a three count, but James Mitchell puts Abyss's foot on the rope and alerts the referee, so breaking it. Here's the thing. I don't understand how you can get a rope break in a no-DQ match. Yeah! whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I mean, I guess in a pinfall I get it a little bit, but like in a submission move, when someone grabs the ropes, the penalty for not breaking the hold when someone's grabbing the ropes is you get a five count and then you're disqualified. But if there are no disqualifications, then... There's no, like, there's no reason why grabbing the rope should do anything, but whatever. Um,
0: that is an excellent point. Yet again, an instance of the rules being disregarded. Or the lack thereof.
1: We, uh. We. Abyss eventually gets that bag of thumbtacks, pours them all in the center of the ring. We keep doing this back and forth of like, oh, who's going to go on the thumbtacks? Uh, but eventually, of course, it's Sabu. He attempts- yeah, and this
0: is the difference between Abyss and Mankind.
1: Oh, yeah, where Abyss actually gets to use his own thumbtacks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool how, he, how they use it, though. He sets up that chair, uses it to jump up to the top rope, and springs off, but Abyss catches him in midair and spins him out for a side slam onto the tacks, pins him for the three count. Um. I thought there were some fun spots there. Uh, the ending was pretty cool. Nothing too, too special. Um, but, you know,
0: a, a good match for what it was. It, I would like to talk to you about, because this is something that... After this match, I thought, oh, it must be banned. But then later it comes up. And that is, what is TNA's relation with blading? Uh, I don't think they have any rules against blading, as far as I uh, am. Just because I, I was like, man, if this was a, like... WWE match there would have been some blood here in like almost any hardcore match that you find um, especially with so much weapon usage so I thought it was interesting that these guys don't blade in this match
1: I think that maybe they wanted to minimize it they didn't want to have two blood matches on the show and they, wanted, they thought that the blood was maybe more important for the Raven and Rhino match for the storytelling purposes okay. also you gotta think Abyss can't really bleed because he's got a mask on
0: Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah, good point.
1: Um, Backstage, Shane Douglas is interviewing Alex Shelley, who is the winner of the Chris Candido Memorial Tournament along with Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac. The Chris Candido Memorial Tournament was uh, in honor of Chris Candido, of course, um, who we actually watched one of his matches on our ECW Heatwave show. Uh, but he wrestled for TNA, and he died due to complications for an in-ring injury. It was actually very much a freak accident. It wasn't like one of those things where they were doing something too dangerous. It was a very basic move that he that he did that um, gave him some sort of uh, leg injury. He had to be on crutches, and uh, he had to have some surgery. And for some reason, he had some sort of blood clot complication and ended up, like, Bleeding out, and he died like on a on a plane ride. It Had something to do with with him being on a plane ride. I can't really remember, but it was oh it was God. like one of those things. It was like you'd never know it because I mean it was a it was an in ring accident that didn't even look that bad. It was like he twisted his, it. It lo- just looks like he twisted his ankle. Like it was not bad at all, and he was even on TNA. Like he came out like on crutches a few times. So it was a surprise when he when he died all of a sudden. Jesus. Um, so they have this Memorial Tag Team tournament for him in his honor. Uh, the winners end up being Alex Shelley teaming with Sean Waltman, who we know from the WWE, as X-Pac. Um, but Sean Waltman is not at the show. Um, uh, he's Douglas is interviewing him, and Shelley says Waltman's a little weird, but he always pulls through. Spoiler alert, he will not pull through. Um, this was legitimate. X-Pac just didn't show up for the show. He showed up too late. <laughs>
0: I thought I thought it had to be a work.
1: No, he really did not show up. Uh, oh my or not god! Show up on time. He was in a bad way here, and here's the thing: he only lived like two hours away. Um, and he Holy showed shit. up dressed to compete, but he he didn't make it in time. So, TNA Management was furious at him. Yeah,
0: I can see why. Man, that is— and you I can tell, when they talk about
1: him, they're burying him. They are absolutely burying him. Pulling oh, no punches. Damn. Because uh, they even say, why would he leave Shelly high and dry? Um, why would he no-show if Chris Candido's memorial tournament was all about— I mean, they basically say, how could you do this to Chris Candido?
0: Yeah. Yeah, man, and that's that's what made me think it was all story, is that, like, they no. were really playing that aspect up, but It damn. was 100% real. He was
1: supposed to be here, and he didn't show up.
0: And that is rough. I mean, that's rough to deal with.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, at first I thought it was a work, and I looked it up, but it, the way they were talking about it made it seem like it was real. Um.
0: So did he, uh... I mean, he's X-po- x so I feel like he had to have stuck around after this, because he's probably too big for TNA to let go.
1: He did—what uh, I, I read about it is he—they kept him off TV till February of the next okay. year. Okay. So he, they, they were mad at him, and they did bring him back, and uh, but I don't think he stuck around for a while. I think he showed up for, like, one more match, and that was it. Um, yeah. Yeah, TNA has a problem with people, like, doing
0: stuff like that, of not showing up or showing up high— and that is the thing, too, is that, you know, I give Vince McMahon a lot of shit, right? But you are dealing with a particularly unruly group, and so you kind of have to build the reputation of a vindictive motherfucker for people to respect you.
1: Um, Speaking of people who have drug problems, our next match is Bobby Roode versus Jeff Hardy.
0: Nice segue,
1: uh, Wes talks about how Rude is going to have a really great singles run one day. No kidding, because he's in WWE doing pretty great things right now. Awesome. Uh, Mike today says this is Jeff's first match in four months after being suspended, which I can't, I'm not sure if that's real or not. That very well may be real, because uh, Jeff Hardy uh, likes to get suspended. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the boy likes his drugs.
0: You know, though, I will say uh, it's cool seeing them in a one-on-one because I've never seen uh, the Hardys wrestle outside of their tag team. I guess so. that's
1: true. Um, well, I mean, you did see them wrestle each other in the final deletion. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, they both go on to have pretty decent singles careers, uh, both of them. Um,
0: so, I noticed... The, the thing that Matt's doing with his hair now, Jeff is doing with his hair here.
1: Yeah, is it something of. that
0: they did? Is like we're brothers, or is what's the deal with that? Did Matt just just rip Jeff's style?
1: Uh, I don't know. I I mean, they changed. Their, uh, Jeff was always the one who had the weird colored hair. This is uh, Matt that white streak in Matt Hardy's hair. is that's the first time he's really changed his hair like that that I that I've ever seen. So, gotcha. gotcha. I think it was just part of him being a crazy man. Um, This is a pretty decent match. Um, Jeff hits a baseball slide on the outside, slingshot Plancha on to Root on the floor. Um, Bobby Roode starts stomping away at Jeff and asking him, who's the greatest? And says, USA sucks. Um, They keep saying like, oh, Jeff's been away for four months. How's he going to do? They keep acting like four months is a really long time, which, I mean, if I was out of work for four months, like, I mean, and I came back, I can see why, but, like, in the wrestling world, I feel like four months isn't really that long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree.
1: Um, so, but, you know, whatever. Especially
0: when you have people that are out for, like, you know, years at a time and come back. And exactly. then, like, it's never like, oh, do they still remember how to wrestle?
1: Yeah. Um... Jeff tries for a twist of fate, but Bobby Roode reverses and and Jeff reverses that to a spinning heel kick. Um, Jeff Which Hardy was goes. This is such
0: a cool move.
1: Yeah, it really was. Uh, Jeff Hardy goes to the top rope, but then Petey Williams comes down to the ring and uses a hockey stick to trip him up on the top rope. The referee is just not looking, apparently.
0: Now let me tell you something. Jeff Hardy takes that hockey stick to the ass. Much like Thanos will be taking an Ant-Man to the ass.
1: (laughs) I also will mention, it's not just a hockey stick. It's a hockey stick with the Canadian flag on it. Like And and doused in maple syrup, I assume, as well. (laughs) Um, So Rude comes up to the top, hits a huge belly-to-belly superplex... Uh, Williams is now distracting the ref, and that's when Bobby Roode gets the hockey stick, tries to hit Jeff with it, but misses, and he hits Petey Williams instead. Jeff hits the twist of fate, but Bobby Roode rolls to the outside, so Jeff goes to the top rope. Petey Williams helps Bobby Roode to his feet, so Jeff comes flying off the top rope onto both guys. Um, on the outside, Jeff uh, whips Bobby Roode into the steel steps, and then back in the ring... Um, or Jeff puts Bobby Roode back in the ring and then Petey Williams goes for the Canadian Destroyer, but Jeff backdrops him on the floor. Jeff Jarrett comes down to the ring and smashes that hockey stick over Jeff's back. And again, the ref is just not paying attention. Um, Jarrett rolls Jeff back into the ring and Bobby Roode pins for the three count. Uh, I like the, the difference of styles between these two guys. And I think these guys could have really great matches together. Uh, I don't think they were quite used really well cuz there was like way too much run in and interference for my for my taste.
0: Yeah, I agree. You you get one. You don't get you don't get multiple uh, in one match. I I I agree.
1: So I gave it a 2.75 that one.
0: I think that is a fair fair assessment there, Judge Payton.
1: So we go to our next pre-match promo, America's most wanted uh saves the naturals from an attack by Team Canada amw says they want those tag team titles but they want to get rid of team canada even more so you know what we've got all these tag teams why not just throw everyone together in one match including the winners of the chris candido memorial tournament sean waltman and alex shelley now this match
0: is a little confusing so much so that they have to make a powerpoint to explain it to you
1: yeah i am not a fan of this match uh So it's a four-corner elimination match for the NWA Tag Team Championship. Team Canada of A1 and Eric Young versus Alex Shelley by himself because Sean Waltman's not here versus America's Most Wanted of Chris Harris and James Storm versus the Naturals of Andy Douglas and Chase Stevens. Here's the thing. I hate multi-team tag team matches because they make no sense because you only have two guys in the ring, but you can tag your opponents which doesn't make any sense because why would you do that
0: no why would I, you put yes. your
1: opponent in the ring so that they can win
0: i agree wholeheartedly that's like okay so when i saw their little powerpoint explanation of how this match was going to work i was like oh okay i'm kind of glad you did that that explains things and then once it actually starts and there's only two guys in the ring i'm like what the fuck
1: it would um, work more more if they had all four in there at the same time. But they do this sometimes in lots of different companies. It's not a TNA thing. I just don't get it. I don't understand why a person would ever tag their opponent in, unless they were like trying to you know take a breather. It makes a little more sense when it's an elimination match. I've seen them do it where it's like a one fall to a finish, so that makes no sense why you'd tag in your opponent.
0: Yeah, absolutely none. It's um,
1: it's stupid. I hate these types of matches.
0: Yeah. And then, like, it, something that happens here is, like, the, the opponents are like, oh, no, we don't want to take the tag. Why wouldn't you want to take the tag? You, this guy's like, oh, I'm about to get pinned and lose. Well, I guess well, in the elimination, elimination, like you said, style. it makes more sense. It's yeah. Elimination
1: yeah. style. So it makes sense why they wouldn't want to get the tag because they want him to get eliminated. And okay, they really point. don't do a lot of tagging of the opponents. They mostly tag in their partners. So at that point, then it's just like a gauntlet style, which that makes no sense because then it's like whoever's in there at the beginning has the worst chance.
0: Yeah, no, it's like a, a weird Royal Rumble, but worse.
1: Yeah, um, basically Alex Shelley is getting is getting his ass kicked by everyone, um, and Sean Waltman no-showing may have been a good thing because the, the probably the best part of this match for the story is that we got Chris Candido's family sitting on the outside, and so Chris Candido's brother Johnny is like, hey, tag me in, and he yeah, does. Yeah, that's fucking cool. And he starts clearing house, but he doesn't last very long because uh, Eric Young gives a low blow and pins him for the three count. Um, although I don't understand how that can happen, how,
0: does that mean just anyone can just enter a match whenever they want? Um, it would appear that way. I think we should go, we should go get tagged in. Yeah. Um, uh Yeah, man, that is, uh, that is wild, but I did like it because I did not expect, I did not expect that to happen. Yeah, it was fun. That had to be, like, a very last minute thing, like, hey man, are Yeah. You, you cool jumping in? Yeah, of course. Um
1: uh this match is really kind of hard to keep track with cuz there's so many guys and a lot of guys I'm not too familiar with either. Um but again it basically just becomes a regular tag team match until one team gets eliminated and the other team comes in. Um it's uh it's AMW kind of getting uh teamed up on where uh Chris Chris or James Storm is really just uh getting teamed up on eventually Chris Harris is able to come in so A1 hits Chris Harris with a hockey stick and Eric Young rolls him up for the 3 count I don't know that I like the fact that we had two guys get pinned from hockey stick in the same show in back to back matches
0: Yeah that was weird I also like I and I understand why you know since uh like, X-Pac just decided not to show. But I didn't really love how, like, this guy who just runs in gets pinned, therefore your team is out.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, he kind of screwed me over, guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> really thought this was going to be a good thing, but, uh, <laughs> but
1: um... But, yeah,
0: no, it was it was kind of weird, kind of screwy. We,
1: we end up at the end with the Naturals versus Team Canada, um... A1 lifts up uh, Stevens, uh, and Young goes to the top rope, but Jimmy Hart shoves Eric Young down. Uh, Jimmy Hart being a WWE Hall of Famer uh, and manager who is managing the Naturals here. Uh, shoves Eric Young down and crotches him on the top rope. The Naturals then hit a double-team move on A1 and pin him for the win. I didn't like that ending because why? it seems weird to have your faces win in such a heel manner. Yeah, yeah, that is—it's very weird. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Hart is the reason they won this match. It's a very heel way of winning. So, um, wasn't a huge fan of it. Gave it two and a quarter stars.
0: Yeah, I honestly, and in a match with four teams, this is bound to happen. I thought this one went on a little bit too long. I thought it got a little stale. Um, this might be my least favorite match of the show.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can, I can totally understand that. We go back to ringside. Mike Tanay and Don West are hyping up WrestleMania. I mean, bound for glory <laughs> backstage. Shane Douglas is interviewing Rhino. So a couple of ECW alums here. Rhino says after four years of wrestling, hell and corporate ass kissers, telling him how to show emotion in the ring, the chains are off. You hear that Vince? <laughs> like, okay, we get it. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I
0: that was just—it
1: was wrestling hell to work in the number one wrestling company in the world, um, which like
0: you will inevitably return to.
1: Yes, yeah, he's back there now. Uh, uh... Rhino says he's not worried about the Ravens rules match, and that Raven is going to bleed and cry tears of blood.
0: <laughs> Uh, Maybe you needed those corporate guys telling you how to show emotion. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yeah, Rhino's never been great on the mic. Uh, Fun fact, Rhino was the last ever ECW champion in the original ECW. Really? Huh. He was. Um, Rhino, we get a flashback to Rhino making his debut in TNA by goring Raven. Um, Jeff Jarrett gets screwed out of a title shot against Raven uh, because it's a tag team match where the winner... Uh, gets a title shot against Raven, and it's Rhino who picks up the win. Jeff Jarrett's like, hey, how about you let me face Raven, and then you get the first title shot against me? And Rhino's like, uh, no. And (laughs) uh, we see Raven cutting Jeff Jarrett with a pizza cutter, and he does his
0: dark promo. (laughs) Just the the Spider-Man 2 pizza theme playing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it's, he's acting very Spider-Man 3 at this point. <laughs> um, So we get to our Ravens Rules match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Really interesting that, this, that the world title match is not the last match on the card, although when we get to the last match on the card, I think they did make a good decision here.
0: Okay, I've got two big questions about a Ravens Rules match. Okay. First, is it anything like Elmo's World?
1: I... I If you've watched it, I feel like you've got your answer there.
0: Two, could Raven just make one of the rules, Raven wins? (laughs) Probably.
1: (laughs) I don't know why he doesn't. Uh, Yeah, Raven's Rules just means hardcore match, but...
0: Yeah, no, I just thought it was really silly that they keep calling it a Raven's Rules match. It
1: is. And And it's something he's done in, like, every company.
0: It's like... (laughs) Raven's Rules matches are the Mario parties... Of wrestling. (laughs) Why is that? Just because, like, you know, you get this wacky set of rules, and Raven, in this scenario, probably being a Bowser-type character, is is really giving you hell about it.
1: He does this other match that's called something like a Clockwork Orange House of Fun or something that has weird rules. It's like, in order to win, your opponent has to go through two tables and, like, something stupid. Uh, so this one's a little bit more easy to follow. Um, interesting note about Raven, uh, I do want to mention is Raven has wrestled for like every company. He's like one of only a handful of people who's wrestled for ECW, WCW, WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor.
0: I'm really upset here though, because he doesn't have his sick ring music with the crows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, yeah, TNA always did, they would just, like, do, like, these remixes of, like, the WWE themes that were, like, sound kind of like the WWE theme, but aren't really.
0: They just make the kids Bop version of the WWE theme.
1: So, Raven brings a shopping cart full of weapons into the ring, starts tossing them in. Uh, I like, they almost have a sword fight with kendo sticks, but they, they don't, actually. They don't actually sword fight, and I was a little disappointed For that, Yeah, that would have been awesome. We get a crutch, we get a pizza cutter to Rhino's face. The crowd starts chanting, we want pizza, a.k.a. me at 2 a.m. after a night of
0: drinking. (laughs) A.k.a. me last night while I was watching this match. You're like, oh, pizza would be great. I actually went and made a Totino's party pizza. That's
1: not a joke. (laughs) Yum. That's the truth. Raven got you in the mood. All that pizza sauce. (laughs) Yeah, Rhino's got the pizza sauce all over his face. Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. As Raven starts smacking him around with baking sheets, we get
0: a ladder. (laughs) I thought that was such a weird spot because he picks up the cookie sheets, the baking sheets, and smacks them together and then puts them down and then hits them then picks them back up and uses them. (laughs) I pick
1: stuff up. I put it down. Uh, I pick it up again. Rhino hits Raven with a beer keg, which why is there a beer keg at the... At ringside, and I, it's also definitely empty.
0: I've got, I've got thoughts about this beer keg. Okay, <laughs> okay, because we get a line from the commentary where he says, <laughs> "One of those things weighs about seventy five hundred pounds. Seventy five hundred pounds. How many men could really even pick that up in the first place? <laughs> what? You expect me to believe that this fucking beer keg at Ravens Rager <laughs> weighs yeah. like?" Tons? Weighs more than a fucking African forest elephant?
1: <laughs> well, and then also, like, it's... He throws it and misses it, and it hits the, the post, and it starts bouncing. It's very <laughs> obviously empty. That's every 500-pound keg right there. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking wild. Um... We're back in the ring. Raven. Puts... I, think,
0: I think he probably meant 75 pounds. I'm just giving him shit about it. But I hope so. Hilarious.
1: We're back in the ring, and Raven puts Rhino in an ankle lock. Uh, interesting seeing him going for submission. Rhino gets to the bottom rope. This comes back to my whole thing of, like, how do, do you get a rope break in uh, the hardcore match? But whatever.
0: <laughs> hey, it's Raven's rules. Raven says you can do it
1: it's a weird rule for him to make cuz it ended up screwing him um uh Rhino starts beating Raven with a steel chair, cracks him over the head with a with a trash can. Uh Raven's bleeding now. Um and uh he kind of sets up the trash can in front of Raven's face in the corner, hits a running kick. Um Goes for another one, but uh, then Raven reverses it into an ankle lock. I did. I I don't know of Raven doing the ankle lock as a move, but apparently he does. Yeah, he it just does kinda, in this match. Kind of weird. Uh, here's where we get something where I think this match
0: may have went a little too far. What do you think? Uh, are you talking about the the staple gun? Yeah, I don't think there were any staples in it.
1: I. You say that, there may not have been, but I have 100% seen staples used, even in TNA. There was one time where Bubba Ray Dudley stapled a WWE sucks sign onto Abyss's head. And it stayed there, so it was it, there were clearly staples in it.
0: Okay, that is, I stand All right, There may
1: not have been staples, but even just the idea of stapling a man's head, even if it's fake, is maybe a little too much.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. That does have a very, very bad, like, visceral body horror feel to it. Now, you gave me shit, Peyton, for saying that this was the Mario Party of wrestling matches, but all the weapons are like (laughs) minigames. Yeah? What what makes you say that? Uh, They're wacky, they're fun. And, um, you know, you sort of got to like win a bunch of them if you want to win the match.
1: That's true. They should have in the next WWE game, they should have like, I want them to make a wrestling game that's like, that's like out of kayfabe, like an out of kayfabe wrestling game where you're, where like, your purpose is not necessarily to win the match, but it's to have a good match.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, no, well, you know, in uh, 2K19, they actually kind of have that. Like, your match has a star rating system. Yeah,
1: they do that in some of the other other games, too. But no, no, that's, that's really cool. Because I'll always do that. I'll be playing, and then, like, I'll try to do a really cool spot, and then, like, the AI messes it up. And I'm like, damn it, dude, I was about to, like, elbow drop you through an announce table off a ladder.
0: Yeah, man, and so that is one thing that does piss me off about it a little bit, is that in the story mode, it wants you to do all these spots, but unlike in real wrestling, your opponent is actively working against you. Yes,
1: that is that is really hard. It's it's like,
0: no, Bret Hart, you're supposed, one- to, you're supposed <laughs> to take a stunner here. Uh, but that's one thing, when I play with other people, I kind of get pissed off if they just immediately go for the win, because it's like, come on, we're trying to put on a match here. Yeah,
1: no. Exactly,
0: but I digress.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's 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 see. What, what do we what do we got next? Um Cassidy Riley, who is like a Raven's friend, because he's always got his lackeys, comes down the ring to try to help, um distracting the referee. In the meantime, Raven hits the uh, Raven Effect DDT, which is really interesting that a move as simple as a DDT is his finisher, but. Um,
0: yeah, that is very well 'cause Well, because there was a
1: time where that was like a crazy move, but it just ended up becoming one of those moves that was so popular that it lost its, like, luster, yeah. you know? Um, but the Raven, the ref misses the pinfall because he's busy dealing with Cassidy. Cassidy leaves, and he's like, I'm sorry, Raven. Senpai Raven. <laughs> um, Rhino leans a ladder up against a chair in the middle of the ring, He's on the second rope, punching at Raven, but Raven reverses it and power bombs Rhino through the ladder. I thought that was a pretty. Yeah, man, and
0: that bomb. ladder fucking bends. Yeah. That was that was pretty intense.
1: Um, somehow Rhino kicks out of that. Um, Rhino's on the apron now, and Raven charges, but Rhino snaps the ladder back up into his face. Rhino gets that shopping cart and tosses it into the ring. He sets it up in the corner, and he attempts the gore, but Raven hits a drop till hold, and Rhino goes face first into the shopping cart. That's when Jeff Jarrett—man, this guy's all over the show. Hmm, wonder why.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But despite not actually being in a fucking match. Yeah, he
1: wasn't in a match, yet he's, like, all over the show.
0: And I kept expecting him to be in the main event, because I was like, okay, Jeff Jarrett's gonna be in this main event. He's been all over this fucking show, and yet he is not.
1: Um he uh he brings the NWA title into the ring and is about to hit Raven with it but then Jeff Hardy comes down. We've got a battle of the Jeffs here. Um <laughs> he comes down in the ring, takes the belt from Jarrett. Raven hits Jarrett with the Raven Effect and then Rhino tries to hit the Raven Effect on Raven, but Raven reverses it into one of his own and pins him for the 3 count. Uh really brutal match, right on the line of being too brutal. A lot of good spots um and I thought it had a nice ending. Uh, this was an ending where the run-ins kind of worked okay. Um, obviously, Raven was going to need to retain the title, and I thought it was a, a cool way for him to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I thought the Charles in Charge match was pretty good. I, I do have a the question. The Charles in Charge match? Yeah. What? But it's the Raven's rules.
1: Why? Why? Okay.
0: Just alliteration and being uh, the boss of things. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll allow it. Not all of my jokes have to make sense, okay? Rarely do they. Um, but do you think that hardcore matches are scripted more heavily? Because I kind of feel like they would have to be.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot more spots. You
0: yeah, know? and usually
1: the big spots are what are planned, and so you have more of that to do.
0: I just feel like it's really hard to improv with weapons yeah, you, without actually hurting someone and yeah, killing you're,
1: them. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, so we get a, a little promo that's really just a highlight package of all three guys in the X Division match. All you really need to know is that they're all super talented. So TNA is really like coup de gras. Cream of the crop is their X Division, uh, which is kind of like their answer to the cruiserweights, but different. It's not really about the weight limit. It's more about the style of wrestling. Um, and I love the fact that they're closing the show. That's a good move, smart move from TNA. Eventually, the X-Division gets treated like the cruiserweights get treated in WWE. Uh, But here, they're getting treated really well. Uh, We've got Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels. Uh, Joe and Styles have both gone on to have really successful careers in WWE. AJ Styles is like the quintessential TNA guy. I Kind of like when he moved over to the WWE, that's when you knew TNA is is wow. over basically. Because uh, when he moved over to because WWE doesn't like to acknowledge their competition, but when AJ Styles came over, while well, they didn't say you know he's from TNA, they didn't treat him like he was unknown either. Uh, oh, because okay. they couldn't, and they did that yeah. with a lot of people. But with but with AJ Styles, I mean, you can't do that. It, you, right, you'd look silly doing that. <laughs> right,
0: right. Because um, I mean. Y- You just get big enough, and I can see why he got big enough, because he's pretty fucking good. And man, three-man matches are rare, and I honestly was like, ooh, a three-man match is your main event. That might be a mistake, but it isn't. Triple threat matches are very hit and miss. There are some really good
1: ones, but a lot of times it's, it's hard to... You end up doing, like, just two guys wrestle while one guy waits. And that inevitably happens in this match a little bit, but not... Not to a really big extent. Uh, all three guys are really involved throughout the whole match, and yeah, I no think,
0: one's laming it out too much.
1: I think the, these three guys—they all are really great, and they all bring something really incredible uh, to the table. Um, I I agree. AJ Styles is like your classic high flying guy. Christopher Daniels is a little bit of that too, but he's he plays a pretty good heel. Uh, I think. And then Joe is just a monster, uh, and brutal, uh, really fun to watch. Um, so this is for the X-Division Championship. Uh, Samoa Joe is undefeated in TNA at this point. Um, he won the right to face Christopher Daniels, but because Daniels kind of screwed AJ out of the, out of the qualifying match, they said, okay, we'll let AJ come in. Um... And Christopher Daniels is the longest reigning X-Division champion at six months at this point. Um, all three guys are really over with the crowd. The crowd loves them all. They're chanting for all of them. Uh, I like the way we start this match off. Christopher Daniels is trash-talking, so both guys just double-team him. And you said you didn't notice the stiffness before, but surely you saw it here.
0: Yeah, man, I, I did notice it here because it is uh, very apparent, like you were saying. Um especially in this, this part of this match. Uh, and it really go, does go to sell some of the exhaustion that we see later. But yeah. also, I think Christopher Daniels looks kind of like Billy Corgan because they're both bald white guys. So by that extension, so Steve Austin also looks like Billy Corgan? Like, uh, Steve Austin looks like a built Corgan. Bilty Corgan.
1: Bilty Corgan. <laughs> um... But no, I like how they start this match, uh, with them just like kicking the crap
0: out of Christopher Daniels.
1: I mean, and hard. They're both like like, oh wait, let me show you how how to kick him.
0: Right, right, yeah. No, it it's very good. I I agree. Um and it like it goes on for a minute, but no, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um but I was a little bit worried when I saw it, I'm like, Oh man, this is gonna be like yeah, three-man is so hard to deal with because, like, it's two people ganging up on one dude or one dude laming it out. But they really pull it off, man. And I'm not quite sure how they did it, but they did it.
1: Yeah, uh, I like it. Daniels jumps right back up, and they both kick him down. Uh, and then <laughs> AJ starts going for a bunch of quick roll-ups on Joe, but he can't pin him. Uh, Joe puts AJ in a submission, but Daniels breaks it up. Um, again, really everyone is just is just involved in this match. Um, we get our high flying pretty early on, um, Samojo's going for a running knee to Styles in the corner, but Daniels tackles him to the outside, and he hits a beautiful, uh, split-legged moonsault, where he, like, bounces his ass off of the top rope, and then hits a moonsault to the outside.
0: Yeah, uh, no, that was sick. That was,
1: that was awesome. The crowd is chanting TNA, then AJ Styles hits a springboard shooting star press, so a almost like a inverted moonsault, where he does a backflip facing frontwards uh, onto both guys on the outside. They, they start running back and forth across the ring, and Styles is able to hit a crazy dropkick. I don't know how these guys have this energy to make it through this whole match. Um, really cool move here is when Daniels hits a monkey flip on AJ Styles, so he uses his knees to flip AJ over, and normally that move would just end with the wrestler ending on their back, but no, he flips AJ up, and AJ... Catches Samoa Joe in midair with a hurricane rana.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was awesome.
1: Christopher Daniels tries to roll up Samoa Joe, but he like kind of rolls it up into a, a submission, a kachina clutch, uh, like a rear naked choke. And that's when AJ breaks up the move with a spiral tap, which is like him coming off the top rope and just doing like a crazy like corkscrew move onto both of them.
0: Yeah, because he just like he just like spins. Like, he just, like, barrel rolls at them. Which, like, spinning in midair does not add damage to your move, but it looks fucking cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, AJ's trying to cover both guys, but he can't get a pin on either one. Um, it, Christopher Daniels tosses AJ to the outside. He goes for a moonsault, but uh, but AJ uh, crotches him on the top rope. Uh, he gets tied upside down, and Styles is kicking him in the corner... And then Joe hits a running knee on AJ in the corner. Uh, and then hits a kind of a gruesome looking, like low running drop kick right to Daniels' head while he's hanging upside down in the corner. Uh the crowd is chanting, This is awesome. The crowd in this match really also makes it.
0: Yes, agreed. They are agreed. loving it. And this is one of they're those they're popping super crazy. This is one of those this. matches
1: where I've seen this before. Couldn't really remember who won, so I, I I kept being like, "Oh God, what's gonna happen next?" And I, like, I my jaw keeps dropping at this. Um. Uh, Christopher Daniels uh hits a Death Valley Driver, pins, but uh b- breaks it up. Um. Uh, Chris Daniels and AJ start fighting on the outside when Joe. Shows that he can fly high, too. He d- jumps clear over the top rope and hits a corkscrew plancha onto both guys. Crowd is going absolutely nuts at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're going insane for good reason.
1: In the ring, Joe tries for the muscle buster, which is kind of like a suplex, like a cradling suplex where he like grabs the guy's legs and slams him, but uh, he's not able to hit it here. Um... Uh, Chris Daniels rakes him in the eyes Um, Daniels and Styles are fighting on the top rope Joe goes to the top rope and somehow flips both guys over his shoulder and they all come crashing down Um, Crowd's chanting TNA Uh, Samoa Joe is eventually able to hit AJ with the muscle buster but Chris Daniels comes in the ring with the title belt tries to hit Joe with it but Joe power slams him Joe has the title in his hand now and but the ref tries to take it from him, which allows Daniels to kick him in the head. And he hits uh this is not me calling it the best moonsault ever. This is the name of the move, the best moonsault ever. Uh where he uh he does a uh like a like a spring a springboard split leg jump up thing into a moonsault. Where but, would
0: you rank this on like your ranking of moon salts? Is it at least in the top five moon salts, or
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you don't see a moon salt like that. I, I think maybe like a like a springboard moon salt to the outside might uh, might rank a little bit better, but you know, this is a decent moon salt. Um, so it doesn't
0: completely fail to live up to its name. It's just like one of the best moon salts ever. A very good moonsault.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Styles sits a moonsault of his own with a second rope moonsault. Uh, well, not quite a moonsault. He springboards off and backflips into an inverted DDT and pins him. Um, <clears throat> uh, Daniel sits a superplex on AJ Styles. Both guys are down. Joe tries pinning them both, but only gets a two count. Um, Joe then hits a powerbomb and in, into a pin, but Daniels kicks out, so Joe just floats it over into an STF submission hold. Daniels is able to get to those ropes, um, and then AJ hits a Pele kick, uh, like, literally named after the soccer player, where he does a backflip kick.
0: Not uh, many people know about Pele's career I didn't know who wrestling.
1: Pele was until I watched AJ Styles do a Pele kick. <laughs> um... He picks up Joe in a torture rack, which is pretty impressive, because Joe's a pretty big dude. Um, Samoa Joe proving that you can be a big dude, but also be a really exciting, fast-paced yes. wrestler. Absolutely. Uh, Joe has a really good, where he's, like, he's stiff, he can brawl, he can do some moves, he can do power moves, he can do high-flying moves. So that's That's what a lot of people love about Samoa Joe. Um... And then, uh, finally, uh, AJ Styles hits the Styles Clash, uh, cool move, dangerous move, uh, where he kind of, like, I don't even know how to describe a Styles Clash, uh, it's that move where he, like, picks them up, and their legs are wrapped around his head, and his legs are wrapped around their arms, and he slams them.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's hard to
1: explain. Uh... He pins Christopher Daniels, but Joe breaks it up. Then Joe comes charging at Christopher Daniels, but Daniels drops down, and Joe goes flying through the ropes. Daniels is about to finish off AJ Styles with the Angels wings, but AJ reverses that into a pin and gets the three count. Jesus, guys, you didn't have to, but you did.
0: Yeah, man, so I, I, I don't know what to say about this match because— I was, a few, I was a few bourbons deep while I was taking notes, and my notes just turn into, holy shit, this is a good match. Like, basically over and over again.
1: Look, so my star ratings mean nothing. It's just my way of adding a little flavor to this. So, And it's just my opinion, so they don't really hold any weight. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this match a six out of five stars.
0: That is, you know what? I fucking agree. And I wrote this down, and I don't know what it means, but I'm going to add to it what I wrote. You can feel this match. You can feel it. Um,
1: I don't yeah. think you need to add anything to it. I think that, that described it
0: perfectly.: But yeah, man, it was it was awesome. I, I, I especially like using the medium of the triple threat, uh, just amazing, just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, this is what TNA was all about back in the day, and what it should have stayed all about, and I think it's kind of getting back to what it's all about now, but yeah, no, this like, was what was setting it apart from WWE.
0: That's the thing, is that watching this, I'm like, wow, TNA is really cool. I actually like this wrestling more than I like the wrestling in WWE. And you fucked it up, didn't you? Mm. You just couldn't, you couldn't be happy with what you had. You had to try to go for all of it.
1: Yeah. Like Icarus. Indeed. So what did you think about TNA altogether? I I loved it. I, I mean, thought this was a good show. It had a little something for everyone. It had hardcore stuff. It had high-flying stuff. had more yeah, traditional
0: man. wrestling. Um, I wish I wish the company would would have uh, gone in a different direction. I wish it would have stuck more to this shit. Because I think it could have been extremely successful if it had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really loved this show. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was great.
1: Yeah. Really great. Um, well, I think that's about going to do it for, uh, this week's episode of Turnbuckle Training. Um, we want to encourage you guys to watch along with us. Next week, uh, we're going to now move from WWE's modern day competition in TNA to Ring of Honor Final Battle 2010, which wouldn't necessarily call it a a wwe competition they're like the third promotion uh much more independent you know they weren't on television for a long time um but they have a really neat style they kind of filled the void that was left behind by ecw so i'm excited to watch uh watch some ring of honor
0: yeah no me too i've never seen any ring of honor so i'm i'm really looking forward to it Now, this one's not going to be on the WWE Network. So, we're going to hunt and scrounge for it. We encourage you to do the same, to watch along with us. uh, Find that wherever you can, and don't worry, we won't snitch.
1: You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter, at TurnbuckleTrain. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, and leave us a review... We want to know what you think of the show, and let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! Knuckles don't lie, and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice!
0: Son of a bitch! I did this, but don't lie.